It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Get low-as-can-be APR, zero deposit required, and finance arranged within four hours with all 192 pre-ordered Renaults. What are you waiting for? There's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda, or Cavan. You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Nice to be back with you on the airwaves. Do I really mean that? Well, let me think about that for a moment. Do I mean that, Louise? Do I mean that it's nice to be back? Yeah, you do. You missed us <laughs> loads. <laughs> like a hole in the... Oh, did I missed you all. I missed all. I missed all my friends on the airwaves. I certainly did. But when you fly home from around 30 degrees in Italy to oh. what greeted us late on Saturday. Oh, my. Do you know, I was, I was telling myself all morning that that was fake tan on you Jerry because I was too jealous to ask <laughs> the not, temperatures it's not 30. it's not it was around the average around the 30 last week it's absolutely beautiful I was in Lake Garda Simeone on the south of uh, the lake absolutely fabulous and we had a wonderful wonderful week it really was it was just so relaxing and so enjoyable did so much enjoyed the food of course couldn't you you couldn't go to Italy but not enjoy the food Fantastic. and a few vinos etc and you know what I met some lovely people and I was there I want to say hello to Robert and Olive Murdoch to John and Anne Sherry who were on the same flight out with us as well. And we met Sharon and Stephen Pepper uh, from Malahide. And Stephen is related to the Grennans. You know the Grennans in Drogheda? They're a well-known family. Elaine and boys. the whole lot of them. Yes, yeah. the whole lot of them, the crew. Uh, he's related to them. He's a, he's a cousin of theirs. And I want to say can't hello to anywhere. them. Today, you can't go anywhere. You really can't go anywhere. Lovely, lovely people. And lovely to meet them uh, on the holiday as well. Well, yes, I am back. Back with a bang. Went out to play a few holes of golf with Jared yesterday evening, Baltray. The winter gear, Louise. We yeah, had to beat a retreat from the course after six holes. We were washed. As so Oliver Callan said, it was the month of Donegal. <laughs> <laughs> they, get a, they get a lot of rain up there that, that is for sure but I want to say a big thank you to Joan Larkin thank you so much Joan who kept the seat warm for me brilliantly during the last week I really do appreciate it thanks a million again Joan who, uh, she was great was, she was great with you on late lunch last week and you know the, today we're away uh, with a, a show packed with guests and people as well to talk to so we best not delay let's talk to our first guest on the show this afternoon and if you do want to get in touch don't forget the contact numbers 086 658 by WhatsApp or text or our social media platforms. You can talk to us there anytime you want to. Now we're heading to Town first off on late lunch this afternoon and standing by on the end of the phone is John Brennan and with him is his daughter Lauren and we're going to have a chat with him now. First to John. John, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thank you for taking my call. Now take me back to July 2016. What was going on? You were out for a walk in the park. Was that it? Yeah. 
I wasn't there, Jerry. Uh, myself and my wife Claire, um, my daughter Lauren, uh, my son Sean, um, and we had our, our dog with us as well, and a, a child of a, of a local neighbour. So it was a few of us going for a walk that day, Jerry, down to the local park in Talonstown. And do you remember what happened to you because you were suddenly gripped by a medical emergency yourself? What do you remember of that? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, we were just there in the park and the kids were playing, doing a bit of a treasure hunt with the kids. And um, the kids were all running around and enjoying, enjoying the, the day. And Lauren noticed um, that I wasn't really responding to some of the questions they were asking around the clues for the hunt. Um, Claire was down the other end of the park with the kid, with one or two of the kids as well. They were all running around, and um, Lara noticed uh, there was a droop in the left side of my face, and then all of a sudden, then um, I lost all kind of power in the left side of my body, and uh, the next symptom after that, Jerry, was I lost my speech. So she quickly reacted. Uh, she she called Claire back up, um, so my wife came back up. Um, she knew straight away that I was. Um, showing symptoms of a stroke, Jerry. Um, so she quickly reacted. Um, I started kind of wobbling all over the place. So she um, she had to obviously lay me down on the grass and put me in the recovery position. But there was that much going on, Jerry, around with the young child. Um, the neighbor's child was obviously crying. The dog was running around. Sean was getting upset. So she asked Lauren, would, would she ring the ambulance and uh, relay all the information to Claire and back to the ambulance emergency call taker? So she did the calling at that stage. And we must remember, she's 12 now. She was only, what, nine at the time? She was only nine at the time, Jerry, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, being the girl that she is, um, she rang 999 straight away and got the, got the wheels in motion to get the ambulance there as quick as, as possible, Jerry. And she relayed the information. She stayed on the phone, you know, as they do when there's an yeah. emergency situation, they stay with you. And she was the liaison there and she handled it like... A real trooper. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I suppose the you know the main thing about having symptoms of a stroke, Jerry, is is getting the getting the the response there quickly, and then obviously getting to the hospital. It's all about timing. Mm. Um, so yeah, she she got the ambulance there. I think they were there within fourteen minutes. Um, and that, and through through those fourteen minutes, Lauren was constantly you know relaying uh, questions back to Claire that the emergency call taker was asking her in relation to. Can he keep his hands raised? Um, you know, is his, is his, his speech all gone or is it just slurred? Um, which obviously I lost my speech fully. Um, you know, is there a droop on his left side? There was. What kind of power have I got down the left side? None. So she was she was asking my wife Claire these questions. Claire was doing the checks uh, and then giving the information back and then Lauren was feeding it back into the emergency call taker. So, you know, a very important piece of the puzzle to... to, to you know, to talk in between my wife, Claire, and the emergency call taker. She is one cool dude. And she's sitting there beside you. Have we managed to get her out of school for a little while today, yes? Yeah, we didn't, DJ. We both got her out of her school down Loud Village, yeah. So she's sitting here beside me. Uh, will you put her on to me, and then I'll talk to you again in a moment. Stick her on to me there. Thanks Hello, a million. Hello. Hi. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Good. What class are you in in, in, in Loud Village? I'm in sixth class. Oh, so you're finishing up now shortly and you're going to secondary school, yeah? Yeah. Where are you going to? St Vincent's in Dundalk. Oh, lovely, fantastic school. That's going to be a bit of a change from Loud Village to Dundalk, won't it? Yeah, it will be. Are you looking forward to it? Yeah. Good woman yourself. Now, it's a couple of years ago when this happened. Do you remember, you heard your dad talking to me there. Can you recall that clearly? 
Yeah, um, a wee bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a few years ago. Now, for your actions, what you did there, you've received an award. Tell us what's happened. What award have you been given, Lauren? You were up to collect away with the National Ambulance uh, Service Headquarters in Tally, yes? Yeah, I got an award of bravery. A bravery award. You must be chuffed, are you? Yeah, I am. I, and I see a picture of you here holding it. Did you bring it into school? Have you showed your friends? Yeah. And what did they say? They think it was really good as well, yeah. Absolutely. You kept a very cool head when your dad wasn't well. Yeah. You did. You really did. And you were so brave to do it. And you've been recognised for this now. But your dad your dad has had, had uh, uh, health issues on a number of occasions. You, you've exp- this wasn't the first time you've seen something happen to him, was it? No. No. So you've, you've seen this happen uh, on a number of occasions. So you're going to put this lovely certificate. It's framed and all. You're going to hang it on your bedroom wall. Yeah. It'll take pride of place there, won't it? It will indeed. Just put me back to Dad for a second and I'm going to talk to you again in a minute because I'm not finished with you. Put me back to Dad one moment there. Yeah. Well, Jerry. John, we were talking about that. She's got this award uh, from the National Ambulance Service and well done to her and congratulations, as I said to her there, and you as well. And I just mentioned a moment ago... For you, uh, difficulties with your health has been the norm for for a young age. You had a hereditary, or you have a hereditary condition, yes? I didn't, eh, Jerry. I was born with um, cardiomyopathy. Um, I inherited off my mother. It's passed from generation to generation uh, with a 50-50 chance of actually uh, getting the gene that causes the condition. Um, Mm. So, unfortunately, I, I had the gene which triggered inside me when I was very young, um, so I was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy when I was 12 years of age. And tell us the link with the UK with your cousins. What happened there? Yeah, I suppose um, from from talking to the family over the years, um, I think in the in the in the late 70s, early 80s, a couple of our distant cousins um, emigrated to England for work. Um, and one of our cousins was cycling to work one morning and um, he had a cardiac arrest and he, he died um, on the way to the hospital. Um, and then one of my other distant cousins was playing football on a Sunday morning, just a normal game of football in the park on a Sunday morning and he dropped dead as well on, on the field. Uh, two very, fairly young guys in their 20s. Um, and uh, the hospital obviously put put two and two together seeing that these were from the same same uh, family and they traced the family right back to Ireland Jerry, uh, which is ourselves obviously Isn't that brilliant? Uh, that connectivity is fantastic and, and really heartening to hear about Now, your mum as well passed suddenly didn't she? She did indeed, yeah My mum, um, she she passed away when she was only 48 Um Obviously, she had the condition as well, Jerry, and she was being brought in to, to get a pacemaker implanted to kind of give her heart a wee bit of uh, help because she was struggling, God love her. Um, unfortunately, um, while they were doing the, the operation, she had a stroke in, in the theatre and um, she just never, she never recovered, Jerry. My, oh my, you've had such tragedy in your family with all of this. Yeah. And, and obviously on that day when the ambulance came and took you away, you fully recovered from, from the stroke symptoms, yes? I did indeed. It was the second time I had the symptoms, Jerry. I had I also had the symptoms in Christmas of 2015, just six months prior to that. Mm. And and as I said to Lauren, you uh, and they have, and your wife and your your son as well. They've experienced these incidents with you. But here's the upshot on this: 
you had a major operation last year. Tell us about that. Uh, September of last year, Jerry, um, my my condition was deteriorating. My heart was getting, you know, uh, so weak that um, I had to be kept in hospital for four months over the summer um, on a heart pump, a uh, melanone pump, just to help my, my heart function um, because it was so bad. Um, and then uh, on, in September, I got the... You know, the news that we all wait for, um, I received the gift of life and I got a heart transplant um, in September of last year, Jerry. And life has been transformed? Absolutely, it really has. It's, um, you know, to say that, uh, you know, putting words on it, I can't really express um, the difference I'm feeling, Jerry. It's just absolutely amazing. Um, from the very moment I woke up out of the, the, the transplant the, the following day, um, as soon as I took that breath, um, I knew straight away that the transplant had been uh, successful. You know, I knew my lungs, getting the breath back into my lungs. It was just, it, it was a miracle, Jerry, and, and life-changing, as you say. It really was life-changing. I'm able now to enjoy family life with the kids, and we're able to plan things, things that we couldn't do. We were going from day to day, Jerry, for the last four years, and... Um, you know, just now, um, obviously getting the recovery done, I'm nine months transplanted. We're able to start planning for the future now, Jerry, which is great. It's wonderful. Had you any doubts about going for this? Because it's a major operation. Did it happen in Ireland or did, was it somewhere else? No, in the Matter Hospital. In the Matter, in okay. Uh, the Matter yeah. Hospital is the only hospital in Ireland that mm. does heart and lung transplants. Yes, so so this happened there and you went for it because you were facing a bleak future, really, if you didn't go for this. What about the, the donor? Do you think of that person? Um, I never stop, Jerry. Um, I think every day of the donor and, um, you know, so grateful for the, for, the, for the donation. I'm so grateful to the donor. I'm so grateful to the donor's family. Um, you know, words will never be able to express uh, the gratitude I have for that. But I bring the donor with me everywhere I go. Um, anything I'm doing during the, during my life, I'll I'll be I'll be I talk to the, my donor every day. So he's he's with me all the time, Jerry. He's with me all the time. And you know, it's a male, yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They try to kind of make. Uh, you know, if it's a male transplant, to try to make sure it's a male uh, donor as well, yeah, yeah. with a female and that. But yeah, yeah, definitely a male, Jerry. Put that young lady back onto me there and oh, stay be, stay beside her, will you, for a second there? Yeah. Hey. Hello, Hi. Lauren. Good to good to have you with me again. I wanted to have another little chat with your daddy there. Isn't he a great man? Yeah. Were you worried about him when he had the big operation? Yeah, I was very worried. Mm. But look, he's come through with flying colours, hasn't he? Yeah. Which is fantastic. Now, listen, tell me a little bit more about you. You were a hero and you were acknowledged recently for it by, again, the National Ambulance Service. Um, but you do a lot more than this. Tell me this. Did you get your hair cut? Yeah, um, I got it cut for the Rapunzel Foundation. They're wonderful people. And obviously you had long hair. Did you get a good bit off it, yeah? Nine inches. <gasps> were you different when you looked in the mirror when you saw yourself? Yeah. <laughs> but no bother to you. So you donated that to Rapunzel. Uh, and the hair, you know, is used for wigs for children who go through cancer treatments. Yes, you know that well, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And what about your dad got a new heart? Have you you fundraised for the Heart Foundation, yeah? Yeah, I did. And I raised over 300 euro. Did you for them as well? Yeah. Temple Street. Yes, you've supported yeah. Temple Street. Crumlin Children's Hospital, yes? What else? There's others. You've supported a load of charities. Who else? Uh, I've done Save the Homeless Dundalk, Simon Community, 
Irish Hospice Association, Crumlin, Temple Street, Irish Heart Foundation, Matter Hospital, Matter Foundation, and I cut my hair for cancer. <laughs> You've done trick or treat for Temple Street, which is well known. You mentioned it there. The great bake off. Do you like baking? Yeah, I love baking. What's your favourite thing to bake? Um, probably almond cake. <gasps> Listen, I'm getting your address when this is finished. Almond <laughs> is my favourite. I'm going down for a taste of that cake. Is that all right? Yeah. Oh, I'd love to taste it. Oh, you've really got me salivating here now uh, thinking about it. The homeless... Tell them what you did with your Easter eggs. Um, I collected a load of a load of Easter eggs of um, family and stuff and I ended up at 45 Easter eggs and I gave it into Save the Homeless Dundalk. You are such a thoughtful little girl and such a wonderful young lady as well to do all of this. You obviously enjoy, do you, doing this and, and you get great support? Yeah, I really enjoy it. Mm, you are. You're a special young girl. Well, let me tell you this, uh, Lauren Brennan. Uh, you have received a national award. Well, here on LMFM Radio, I don't know whether you know this, we are uh, nominating people to be our unsung hero on LMFM and w- late lunch each month we pick somebody to say you're the unsung hero for this month. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. And we got a nomination in for you to be our unsung hero. And can I tell you something, Lauren Brennan? You are LMFM Radio's unsung hero for the month of June. Wow. (laughs) And you... So deserve this, may I say to you. So we're now going to have another frame certificate for you. And uh, there's a special event comes up at the end of the year where each of the unsung heroes for each month come along to this. And it's sponsored uh, by Home Instead Senior Care. And we're so grateful to them for the sponsorship of this wonderful award every month. So that's it, Lauren. You are our un- unsung hero for the month of June. So you can go and tell everybody that after today. Is that OK? Thank you. You are so welcome and we're delighted. And you are a youngest winner. You're our sixth winner of the year so far for the month of June, of course. And you're our youngest winner now. And I so admire you and what you do every week of your life that you're thinking about other people and helping them. So look, we'll be in touch to make the arrangements on this one. Just put me back to Dad for a quick minute. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you. Well, Jerry, thanks very much. Not at all. She is so deserving of the award when we got the nomination and looked at all she's done and is doing for people. She's a wonderful, wonderful young lady. You should be so proud of her. Yeah, and, uh, I am indeed so proud of her. I, 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 I can understand why. And listen, well done to you as well in coming through a major uh, procedure yourself and we're delighted you're doing so well. And I want to say hello today as well again to uh, Claire, your wife, and Sean, your son as well. We want to say uh, well done to them as well and to all of the Brennan family. We'll be in touch to make the arrangements and I'll say it again. Lauren Brennan, age 12, from uh, Middleloud, Talonstown, is our unsung hero, LMFM, for the month of June. John and Lauren, thank you for joining me on the show. Thanks very much, Jerry. Thank you. Still to come on late lunch this afternoon, Nikki Kyle is joining us. Yes, the Queen of Green to talk about the maceration of male chicks. It's a shocking uh, statistic, the amount that are killed just after they're born in the world. Fiona Smitty's with us. She set up a zero-waste shop. Kathleen Price is joining us from the USA with an interesting story about our family. And we hear about ticks in trim. Yes, still to come on late lunch this afternoon. 
you were looking at what the most Instagrammed food. This is people taking pictures of the food they enjoy. Is yeah. that it? You know the way they kind of stage their meals and take a lovely picture and post mm. it up on Instagram for people. What to would you post on. on Instagram if you were posting a picture of your favourite food? <laughs> not I'm not 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 my cooking anyway. No, but listen, Louise, <laughs> don't worry about your cooking. What would you post though as your favourite? I suppose it'd have to be some kind of a dessert. You know the way you get fa- really fancy desserts. Your sweet tooth, are you? That'd be look lovely. Mm. Do you know what I'd post? What? Roast chicken. And that'd all the trimmings? That'd be my Instagram post. And one I'd cook myself and stuff myself and then ate myself. <laughs> yeah, it's a roast chicken. I think it's just the loveliest dinner of anything I ever eat. Something very comforting yeah, about it, isn't it? Yeah, there is about it. We had one yesterday when we got back from holidays. We couldn't wait to get a nice one into the oven. That'd be me. So what's number one? It has to be pizza, is it? It's pizza for world mm, foods. But in that all right, European yeah. foods, it's macaroons in France. Your, that's the little macaroon sweet Sweets, yeah. dessert thing. Really? Five million pictures. Where's the cabbage, bacon and spuds? Uh, Are we there? Maybe 125th. Not here, not here. Mm, you see, we're a small population in the context of the world. But anyway, uh, interesting. Lamb? Do you ever see Lamb that? is lovely. Lamb is lovely. Do you know, people, watching people on holidays taking pictures of their dinners. You know, take a picture of your dinner. Do you do Just, that when you're out for a meal? Take a picture of your dinner and send it on to somebody? I don't get it. Neither do I, to be honest with you. Oh, listen. Do you know, I saw something last week in Italy, and I must tell you about it. I saw a lady with an assistance dog, a black Labrador, like my own fella Messi, and she was walking along, and didn't the dog do a big poo? Right. And this lady was blind. She had a white stick and and the dog and all with her. And I said, what's going to happen here? And I waited. I was going to go and help her. Honestly, I was going to move and help her. Not a bit of it. She knew the dog had stopped and did what he did. Maybe it was another scent she was using that she could smell, but she knew anyway that the dog... And what did she do? The dog had the plastic bags and a little pooch on his back. No way. And she took the bag out of the pooch from the assistant dog's back and gathered up. She knew she gathered it up into the bag, tied it up. How did she find it? Well, Louise, that's what still puzzles me. But I thought it was incredible when I saw her do it because I was going to go to her assistance and I said no I'll wait for a moment just to see oh, not at all She'd, she must be doing it every day when she's out for a walk but I thought it was brilliant and I want to say one thing about the streets I was in Lake Garden Sirmione um, I was, as I was saying you wouldn't see and there's loads of dogs in the place as well would you see any dog dart on the pavements like here no. not a bit of it are you joking me not a bit of it it's a great credit to them I have to say when you see the mess we have to walk through here at times 086-1800-658 whatsapp or text for your comments this afternoon love to hear from you 1850-715-958 if you want to call in this Friday, June 21st, is the longest day of the year. Not a sign of summer yet. Oh my God, it's depressing if you, th- if you thought about it, especially after the summer we had last year. But anyway, it's a big day because it's Drink Tea for MND, Motor Neurone Disease Day. And in the West Court Hotel in Drogheda, you can go in and drink tea there between 10.30 and 2 and they're having a raffle as well if you'd like to support it and on the evening at 9 o'clock in the market bar in Drogheda there's uh, an entertainment night on and an auction happening there and if you support both events you'll be supporting MND, the Irish Motor Neuron Disease Association and we wish them all well with that. Now you know we're on the environment trail on late lunch since the beginning of the year 
who isn't at this stage. And we always like to highlight people who are doing their bit to help this planet of ours. And my God, we do need more to get involved. I'm joined on Late Lunch this afternoon by Fiona Smithy, and she has just opened a new business called Green Outlook Ireland. It's an online zero waste shop. Fiona, good afternoon. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. Thank you for, for taking our call. Just to let listeners know, you're a chartered accountant, is it, by qualification? Yes. Exactly, yeah. I um, I trained up in KPMG, um, where I worked for four years, and then I moved to a renewable energy company where I worked for a further two years after that. And then you went travelling in June of 2018. Tell us, how many countries did you visit? Uh, so I visited 10 countries in five months. So it was a quick trip, but it was it was really interesting. My God, I'm say, I'd say you saw a lot in that time, you know, and you covered plenty of ground and you got a good idea. I know you did, especially down in the Southern Hemisphere, about what's happening. You've seen firsthand Australia, New Zealand, yes? Yeah, exactly. So while I was away, like I visited some amazing countries and these were being hugely impacted by climate change and I saw um, over in Australia and New Zealand, there was a lot of kind of zero waste focused shops where you could go in and bulk buy your food or you could buy plastic free products. And I hadn't really seen too much about it when I came home or before leaving Ireland. When I came home, then I started to look into it and it was available in certain places. You know, there's a few shops in Dublin. Um, there's one over in Westport. There's one in Cork in Clannacilty. But like there was nothing really like covering the whole of Ireland. Um, so then I decided to set up an online shop. Good woman yourself, which reaches everywhere. That is so true. You also read a book called Zero Waste Home by B. Johnson. And can I tell you, I read that book and I interviewed B on the show here as well. Very impressive lady. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it really made me look at my consumption habits. Because obviously, like I lived in Dublin, I earned a decent wage. You know, I was working during the week, but maybe I was going to the shops and over enjoying shopping at the weekend. And when I came to leave my apartment in Dublin, it took me quite a while to pack up. And that was probably the first trigger of being like, okay, I have too much stuff and I'm buying too much stuff. And after reading um, Bia's book, then Zero Waste Home, it really made me look further at like my consumption. And I was significantly cut back in terms of um, shopping, spending, clothes, um, you know, uh, like just in general, like... Mm. And you say that you feel freer and happier. And, you know, I'm with you on this one. I look, why keep these books forever on your shelves? Give them to people that, who can read them and use them. All the clothes we gather, it's it's just mind-boggling, isn't it? Yeah, and, like, you know, uh, you're paying a lot for space, especially, you know, when I lived in Dublin, mm. I was paying uh, quite high rent rates for a small area but then I had books and clothes that were just taking up so much space and, and almost sapping the joy out because you spend so much time cleaning this area yeah. why not just use your local library or cut back to a minimal wardrobe um, uh, so yeah it, it was really just I completely changed everything now and I shop more second hand as well because you know I want to promote um reusing items as much as possible to get the most out of the actual resource. Mm. Oh, look, uh, I, I think you're singing, singing off a hymn sheet that more and more people should do. And I say to people again today, if you have books cluttering up your shelves, old CDs, too many clothes, 
Get them out there. Let other people have the benefit of them. Now, come on to this. You've been moving in this direction, obviously, from what you've been telling me there. Mm-hmm. And you've launched this online shop called Green Outlook Ireland. What, what does it do? How, how are you, you know, working towards reducing? So I provide um, a number of plastic-free products. So it ranges from body care, um, shampoo, conditioner, right down to oral care. I have toothpaste, um, mouthwashes, uh, bamboo toothbrushes, and then different things like beeswax wraps, different things for the home. Um, I, I source a lot of my products in Ireland as well. Like we have a, so many creative people in Ireland who are making products and I really just want to support as many Irish suppliers as I can as well. So nearly um, 50% of my products are sourced within Ireland. Okay, and these are all environmentally friendly, plastic-free, as you said, using natural materials. And, you know, you take some of the products you mentioned there. How does it work? How do you get it out to people, the orders out, in, a, in an eco-friendly manner as well? So I um, use all old packaging. So if a supplier sends me boxes, I cut them up and reuse all um, old papers or magazines to wrap all products so no customers would ever receive anything um, with plastic on them and I don't buy specific boxes because at the end of the day you know you want the product you don't want all the packaging to have to deal with um, excess packaging and then I also I ship with um, I use on post because they're on the road already you know we all know our um, postman Roman um, so I just want to keep it as um, sustainable and environmentally friendly as possible. It's really good. And then when I get the stuff from you, I can either recycle it or send it out again myself and reuse it. Yeah, exactly. So let's say um, I have shampoo that's made in Dublin. It comes in a tin. It's a shampoo bar, so there's no plastic bottle. You reuse um, the tin, then I can supply refills for the tin, or you can reuse it to store, let's say, jewellery or anything you want or uh, ultimately it would be recyclable as well so it's really you know um, focusing on waste management to how we can refuse plastic refuse excess packaging in the first place and then reuse repurpose items and then um, the final step would be recycle at the end of the day if you want to. So Fiona Smithy you are the first truly all Ireland uh, zero waste shop. Congratulations to you because you're everywhere being online. Does it cost a little more? Do we have to pay a little extra to live like this? Some products, um, because again, you know, they're handmade, they're natural ingredients, do cost a little bit more. But the the thing is, you're reducing your consumption in general, and then you're paying for high quality products. So typically, the Let's say the shampoos, they cost €12, but they'll last you um, for 50 washes. Uh, The toothpaste, similarly, again, it costs um, €8 for a small tub that will last you a month or €12 for a larger tub that will last you two months. But it doesn't have any SLS, you know, um, no nasty synthetic ingredients. Like We've become very focused over the last 10 years on what we're putting into our bodies Mm. but we've kind of forgotten about what we're putting onto our skin or washing our teeth with or washing our clothes with and that's a really important element as well like the skin is your largest organ that is so so true yeah and people don't consider that either or or, uh, haven't really copped onto this you have yeah and even like deodorants you know um, I don't use any spray, there's no spray deodorants, you know, it's, it's all natural ingredients that you're applying directly onto your skin. 
Um, yeah, so it, it, it's just uh, another element that, you know, I'm very health focused. You know, I go to the gym a lot and this is another way then that I'm looking after my body and future proofing it. What's been the reaction? I know it's early doors with you and you've obviously tested the waters with this, I'm sure, with family and friends and associates. What, what's the early uh, uh, signs like? Yeah, so that, that's interesting how you say um, family and friends. So when I first approached, let's say, my family, I suppose they were sceptical about me going out and setting this off because, you know, I could go in to uh, get a good job and uh, as an accountant. And I suppose it's about raising more awareness. So maybe they weren't really aware about plastic-free products. But anyone like yourself who's already read books like Bia's book, already knows about the zero waste movement, is already trying to reduce their plastic consumption, is hugely interested in the product range that I have and is hugely supportive. And from then, it's just um, creating more awareness and, you know, talking to your friends about it, your family about it. Um, So it's it's, uh, taking off really well and I'm really happy with how it's going so far. I wish you luck with it and I just wanted to talk to you today to let people know about you and who you are and what you're up to. Where do they find out more? GreenOutlookIreland.ie So it's it's just greenoutlook.ie Sorry, greenoutlook. Okay. So it's greenoutlookireland is the business name but it's online as greenoutlook.ie I'm on all social media channels. I'm very active on Instagram so if any of your listeners are um, into Instagram I'm greenoutlook underscore IE and I share not just about the products that I'm selling, but also about tips about, you know, reducing um, food waste, um, reducing energy costs and different things, you know, talking about like how I'm not buying any new clothes this year. I'm just shopping secondhand, uh, trading clothes with friends or swap shops, um, different things like that that we can all do little bits every day to help out, um, you know, for the future generations. Every step, every little step makes a difference and you're taking a big one here. Wish you well, Fiona Smithy. Greenoutlook.ie or greenoutlook underscore uh, dot IE. Is it dot underscore? Underscore IE, yeah. IE, underscore yeah, IE I'm for on, Instagram. I'm on Facebook and everything. As She's well. all over the place. Check her out. Give her support. She deserves it. Thanks a million for joining me, Fiona. Thanks, Jerry. Take care, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Fiona Smitty there, greenoutlook.ie. Up next on Late Lunch, it's one of our valued regulars. Nikki Kyle is with us in a moment. Bernard, it's been on from Trim to say, Hi, Jerry. The problem with plastic is absolutely crazy. There's a great programme on BBC One at nine o'clock tonight, part two of a three-part series titled The War on Plastic. I will be tuned in, I promise you, Bernadette. Now, uh, while I was away last week, late in the week, I spotted this story uh, where a German judge ruled that it was okay to kill little chicks. You know the baby chicks, Dales, that are born? If you're a male chick born into this world, I'm afraid there is no future for you and I'm delighted to welcome to Late Lunch once again one of our great contributors. Yes, it's Nikki Kyle. She's on the line. Hello, Nikki. Hi, Jerry. Welcome back. Uh, thank you very much indeed and thank you for taking our call this afternoon. Now, I know you and I have spoken about this before and you have yep. your own uh, chicks at home and the yeah. big chicks now. Um, what about this ruling in Germany uh, late last week? Does it give licence to the absolute destruction of all male chicks now? Well, the thing is that that has always happened, um, you know, when chicks have been hatched 
uh, when actually all the industry wants is females that will lay eggs because males obviously don't lay eggs. So they've just given the green light for continuation of the practice. Um, but it's wrong. You know, it's, as you know, it's something that's bothered me for a long time. Uh, and I've been doing a bit of research recently. There's been a couple of very exciting developments, which means that there's now no longer any justification whatsoever for this barbaric and inhumane practice. You're and talking about millions upon millions yeah. of day-old male chicks, and I know it's a bit graphic. What did they do with them, Nikki? Well, it's actually six billion, Jerry, every six year. Six billion? Billion. Six billion every year and it's absolutely appalling and uh, well basically uh, they either gas them which basically distresses them and they, they die of suffocation uh, with carbon dioxide or they put them through a roller just like a mincer a they knife. mince them they mince these little creatures just absolutely. mince them and it, uh, it's just it, it's it's horrendous i can't even talk about it without you know welling up basically mm. and it's no longer necessary though that's the really exciting thing now because there's been a couple of um developments very recently you know but since we were talking last uh, i've done quite a lot of research into this and the first uh, new technique um that scientists have developed in in germany is absolutely groundbreaking it shows the gender of chick embryos in the egg um, just when, when the egg has just literally nine days after being fertilized uh, and laid, uh, they can show whether it's male or female. It's like a kind of a pregnancy test, uh, which a professor at the University of Leipzig developed. Uh, it's a kind of a chemical marker. Um, and it detects the female um, hormone, which is in, in high quantities in, in female eggs. Um, and there's a laser beam that burns a tiny uh, 0.3 millimeter wide hole in the eggshell. And then they apply air pressure to the outside of the shell, which pushes a drop of the, the albumin, you know, the fluid, mm. out of the hole. Uh, and then when that's mixed with the, the um, chemical, uh, it actually shows uh, within literally, it takes one second per egg to show whether that egg is male or female. So why is that is significant, Nikki? Well, it, it means then that the male eggs won't be hatched. Right. They won't be taken to full sort of... Um, I, yeah. It's gas word to use. I suppose it's like an abortion, if you like. Mm. Uh, and they will just dump those eggs. But what they're actually, what they're actually doing is they are using them for, for animal feed. So they're not completely wasted, but I still don't think um, it, it's, it's really what we should be doing. I, I personally think that we should be developing um, dual-purpose breeds uh, so that you know you could you know and, and actually that's another exciting development if if I can yeah. um, go on um, because the, the, another company in Germany at the same time as you know the Germans are very uh, environmentally aware very uh, aware of um, animal welfare uh, in a way perhaps we are less so sometimes and German consumers I think are very informed. Um, but anyway, they've actually recently developed this dual-purpose chicken called the Lohmann Dual. And it's only been trialed very recently in Germany in the last year. Uh, and they produce hens for laying eggs and cockerels for meat production, which does away completely with any need for a pregnancy test or any need for, you know, the, 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 the female hormone test. Yes. Uh, and they can rear both. And not only that, it, it produces a, a karma um, more slower growing breed, um, which is actually much more suitable. As you know, I mean, I reared um, uh, males and females of a, a, a hybrid laying breed, uh, but they are a bit flighty and they are 
um, slightly more aggressive towards, you know, the cockerels are more aggressive to each other. And it, if you're producing them on a large scale, that would be a problem. On my scale, it wasn't because mm. you can separate them, you can give them more to do, that sort of thing. But if you, if, you know, if you want to produce a lot of chicken, then it's something you really have to think about because that is all part of, you know, better animal welfare, really. Now, the scenario of dual porpoise bo- uh, breeds is really good because the males will put on weight and there'll yep. be meat on them and at the same time if there are females they're decent layers as well so you have a, a, a nice compromise there and we are not wasting a food source. Well uh, absolutely I mean when you think that so many people are suffering from malnutrition yeah. and starvation worldwide you know shouldn't we be putting more emphasis on actually not wasting any food at all uh, you know I mean it, it, the, these, these new it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Playing hybrids will produce um, uh, possibly 50 less eggs per year than the normal laying hybrids. Uh, and the cockerels do take a little bit longer um, to actually rear. But, you know, slower grown meat is actually much tastier, is much healthier. It has much healthier fats in it, and particularly if it's organic or free range. As you know, my emphasis would be on, on organic. But, mm. um, I mean, one of the things that both of these developments could do would be to make, you know, ch- egg and, and chicken production um, more economic for producers so that they don't have to use the other thing is, is cages, which I hate. You know, they're totally unnecessary. Mm. And if consumers were only prepared to pay just a few pence more, literally, I mean, for, for very little cost, you know, probably less than the cost of a takeaway coffee, mm. um, you know, you, you could buy six eggs, and six yes. organic eggs, and an egg is an absolutely perfect meal. Mm. It's crazy that, that, you know, eggs are, are so cheap, but somebody is making a huge amount of profit a, along the line, and, and poultry, you know, eggs and, and hens and chickens are suffering. And it's it's a shocking situation to contemplate what's going on. Is that uh, wiping out of day-year-old male chicks happening in Ireland? Yes, oh, yes it's, it's always happened. happened Jerry. Everywhere, yeah, all over. It's the always place, happened yeah. because they weren't any good, and and that's why when I wanted to get some new laying hens, I specified to the hatchery that I wanted a mixed bunch of males and females, and they thought I was balmy. <laughs> but they, I mean, they have produced meat, but it's not necessarily the perfect chicken to put on a supermarket shelf. It, it produces the same amount of meat, but in twice 
the amount of time. But the leg meat is actually sort of, you know, more than, than the breast. The yeah. breast tends to be slightly smaller. And, you know, people like chickens with a big fat breast um, yeah. that they can sort of cut out. But actually, if you're buying non-organic chickens anyway, that mostly melts away in the oven. I was it's actually fat. watching uh, Rick uh, Stein recently yeah. and he was in Albania. You know, and Albania oh, yes, I saw that. has, I, I'm sure you saw it yourself. And I was yeah. just looking at the chicken they were using there. Yeah. And it would remind you of chicken of yesteryear in exactly. Ireland. You know, and the flavour he was saying, and there mightn't just be as much meat, but the flavour and the quality of what he was eating was just simply outstanding. But this race to the bottom with food, yeah. it, it, that, that's what it is, isn't it? We have it to is, pay a little animals more. are suffering. Mm. You know, okay, consumers may have a few pence more in their purse, but actually it's no good for consumer health. It's not better for health. Mm. The, the, the faster food... Uh, you know, I mean, if you say that the, the race to the bottom basically is damaging not just consumers' health, our health, but it's damaging animal health as well. While you're with me, uh, just before we yeah. finish, you saw something interesting in a well-known supermarket. Oh. You don't have to name them, please, at this point, in case they take a little <laughs> bit of offence to this, but they are well-known. They've one of the biggest market shares in Ireland. Uh, tell us about what you saw, because we were talking about waste a moment ago uh, with Fiona Smithy oh. and plastic. What did you see with it's eggs? It's crazy. I mean, a, a friend of mine actually sent me this photograph. She said, what on earth do you think of this? They were selling four hard-boiled eggs. Now, ordinary hard-boiled eggs, not high-fluting organic ones or anything else, for two forty-nine, four peeled hard-boiled <laughs> eggs in a very rigid plastic <laughs> container. Uh, and uh, just along the shelf, they're selling six fresh organic ones for two euros. Why would you? I, I, it's simply incredible. I mean, apart from anything else, I wouldn't buy anything like that out of plastic because apart from the waste, those chemicals in plastic can leach into food and that's becoming more and more obvious and it's something which hasn't been tested a lot up until now and there's a lot more, you know, people are giving it a lot more attention. So, and it is something we've got to think about because all of those chemicals that are leaching into food are what's known as endocrine-disrupting chem- chemicals. They're hormone-disrupting chemicals. And they can change the way all our body systems actually behave because our body is governed by hormones. So you would avoid, you know, a lot, of, and especially at the yep. supermarkets and that, oh. you know, you have these um, meats and yep. chicken and yep. everything really tightly packed into this plastic with a, a long uh, shelf date yep. on them as well. You'd be a little wary of this, yes? Well, I wouldn't buy any of it. <laughs> Simple that. as. Yes. And, you know, and also people are microwaving food in containers like that. And that makes the chemicals come out even more when the food is heated. Yeah, I'm actually a, a real stickler on that if I see anybody doing it. I wouldn't. Uh, any yeah. of these foods that come in the plastic, take it out and put it yeah. into ceramic or whatever, you know, your dishes or bowls. Yeah, but even cold, that's happening, Jerry. Right. You know, I mean, there's nothing better for us than what we actually evolved to eat. And that is fresh real food mm. you know and organic i would argue is what we evolved to eat but fresh real food just cook it it doesn't take long how long does it take to boil an egg for god's sake you know and even if you you have sort of hands that aren't possibly the best at gripping things you have to open that container now if you could open that container you can boil an egg have to leave it there today. I'll tell you one thing. Uh, they will thank you uh, today, tomorrow and in years to come for your views and opinions because if they listened, yes, I think we'd all be an awful lot healthier and I'm delighted to highlight just an aspect of it with yourself again today. And Nikki, we'll thank see you, you soon for Tunnel to Table. Absolutely. Thanks, Joe. God bless you. Thanks indeed. Thank you, Nikki. That's Nikki Kyle.
uh, our gardening, green gardening guru on late lunch uh, this afternoon and just for her again. Yes, it's the LA's and there she goes. Jerry, I'm not going to tell you again. That's the Laz, <laughs> not the LA's. The Laz. If time. I told you, I've written down, I can do a countdown here. Look, Brilliant. I have it, I have it. I wrote down on the paper as I was finishing up with Nikki, will I go LA's or Laz? I have Laz. I said, I'll go with the LA's and I got it wrong. We're about the third time. I hope I'll never forget that again. That's the Laz, ladies right. and gentlemen. <laughs> She goes. Anyway, where are we going next? Yes, we're heading stateside to have a chat with Kathleen Price. Really nice story in last week's Strahd Independent, which we're going to focus on for the next while. We're heading stateside now, where I'm joined by Cathy Cleary Price. Good afternoon, Cathy. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you for taking our call today. I love this story. Now, let's go way back. Uh, we're going back a long, long time here. You're talking about your great great-grandmother, is it? Yes, it is. And her name was? Jane Claire Cloud Brown. Now, when you say Fairclough, I'm going to spell this for the listeners. It's F-A-I-R-T-H-L-O-U-G-H. Pronounce it again for me. Uh, Fairclough? Yes. And, you know, there are families in Drogheda today, Fairclough, F-A-I-R-C-L-O-U-G-H. Would you think there's a link? Yes. Do you know there's a link? No, but I know that name changes happen for various reasons over time. Yes, and, and it's, yeah. it's a well-known name, I can tell you, particularly in the Drahod area, that family name. Now, listen, I, I, I just say that as part of the background to the story to bring it up to today. But let's go back to Jane Fertlov, as you call her. Um, who was she? And, and what's her story? Well, the story, um, to give you a little context, when I was about 10 years old, which was a very long time ago, um, a cousin that we didn't really know somehow got in touch with my parents, and she had done research on another branch of the family, but had come up with this other piece on Jane. And I, to me, the miracle is about a page and a half. It's very short. But it, it told the story about how... Um, Jane was uh, from the Fairlow family, that they were very wealthy, that she married this man, Pat Brown, and was basically disowned, um, that she was um, widowed with four daughters, uh, that the Browns, when she did not bring the family fortune, were not too happy, and that eventually she took her four daughters and she came here to the United States. So that yeah. woman, Jane, was married to a man, as you say, called Pat Brown. The family weren't happy. They disowned her. Those four children, the four young daughters, the girls, were they Pat Brown's daughters? Yes. Okay. And he died? You don't know the circumstances of his death, do you? Or? No, because I actually paid to have some research done on the family because we just kind of hit a brick wall. Mm. And... Um, this is like the Browns really didn't even exist. I, I didn't get any information on the Browns and the name being, and we were more focused on Jane's family um, because it did appear that they were prominent and one would assume that there would be more information and records about people who were prominent. Yeah. 
but you're talking about 1833 when Pat Brown married Jane Ferdlock and uh, that's a long time ago and records are scant and scatty in many parts of Ireland for various historical reasons. So that just is a, a, a fact. So she then emigrated to Boston with her four young daughters. That was some feat on her own in those years, wasn't it? Well, I think that's what always made this story so fascinating um, because the rest of my ancestors either came here under what I would consider to be traditional circumstances. You know, on my father's side, for example, uh, my great-grandmother died and uh, my great-grandfather and his two sons came here. And I would consider that to be more the traditional immigrant experience. Um, Jane Jane should not have ended up here. Um, Jane should have had a different life. Um, And basically, um, since we all are who we are because various people ultimately married various people, if she had not made that trip, I probably would not exist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but you do, and the rest is history. And there's a real uh, large and significant extended family has resulted from this woman taking her four daughters to the States. Now, the thing about this is, right, we're going back into the 1830s and beyond here, um, Marianne herself, right, uh, who was a daughter of Jane, yes? Marianne was yes. your grandmother. Great-grandmother. Great-grandmother, I beg your pardon. Marianne, the other lady, Jane, was your great-great-grandmother. Marianne, of course, was your great-grandmother. Um, she died in, in, in violent circumstances. Well, that was also very interesting because she married a man named Patrick Tracy, who was also Irish, but not from Drogheda. And um, we were obviously doing research on the whole family. And I found Marianne's death record, and um, Boston keeps incredible records, um, just fantastic. And her cause of death was listed as unknown. And I've got a couple of cousins who are basically as obsessed over all of this as I am. And we never could find what happened to her husband, who is named Patrick Tracy. And um, one of my cousins finally found a news clip. Um, This was after years. I mean, we we had no idea what happened to him. We thought maybe he, he died in a construction accident or had, you know, He just vanished Mm. after Mary had died. And my cousin found this newspaper clipping that said that um, she had died after being brutally beaten to death, um, that he apparently abused her frequently and drunken rages. And, um, you know, so that, that turned out to be a very tragic thing. And then he basically, um, at least at this point, kind of went off the map, shall we say. There's nothing about him for about 10 years. And then 10 years after she died, he remarried and started a whole new family. And we only learned all of this within the past year. Ah, You are really uh, turning up lots of information all the time. But the thing is with this story, the grandchildren and uh, of, you know, Jane went over there, then you had Marianne and there were children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren as you are. There's been huge achievement in the family circle. A lot of people have done really well for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes, actually, um, it took it took a while. We didn't all become 
you know, rich and successful, um, and certainly the first generation. Um, but uh, actually, my uncle, who was um, James' great, uh, I, I get generations confused also, would have been James' great-grandson, uh, became president of Con Ed in New York and was highly successful. Um, other, my, his, his granddaughter just got a Ph.D. in chemistry. Um, I've got a first cousin who was in the Secret Service. I have a first cousin who's about to celebrate her 101st birthday. Um, and so in, in one way or the other, and it, it, it took a, a century or so before people, you know, obviously things change, but uh, people, you know, we're glad she came. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you say that again, and I ain't surprised that you say it once more. You have, and I know you're only touching it there. I've seen more about it. You have been very successful, and it is a, a great story ultimately. But here's the thing, and why I'm talking to you today. When I come back to that name again, F-A-I-R-T-H-L-O-U-G-H, which was Jane's name that she went with, and now the Faircloughs, uh, I can tell you that Harry Fairclough was a very famous man in this part of the world, historian and, and, and achieved a lot. I remember Barry Fairclough as well. So there are links here. Are you going to come over and explore this further? Um, well, I don't know if I'm going to come over, but I was re- how this really started was that um, I reached out on Facebook um, because uh, to the old Regina down memory lane site. Yeah. And I just, you know, this is who my ancestors were. Does anybody know who they are? And um, that was a few months ago. And then I didn't get too much response. And then a couple of weeks ago, somebody reached out and um, sent me this. There was an article, apparently, that you're talking about, about Harry Fairclough and the other people. Yeah. And um, it was in the degree to independent. And I thought, well, these people did this 100 years ago. Maybe they'd be interested in Jane. And um, so I contacted the independent but to be perfectly honest, I am just so shocked. I mean, when they said they were even going to do a story, I just thought it would be like a little story. Mm-hmm. And they did this whole full-page spread with a huge headline, and and then you contacted me. And I guess one of the things is that I, I'm really surprised at the amount of interest that this has generated. And I, I am inclined to think that the fast files did become the fair clouds. Yes. Um, you know, so I'm somehow thinking that that we're related, um, which would be nice to, if anybody's listening. If I'm, if you think you're related to me, I'd love to hear from you. But, um, <laughs> but uh, it's not even so much trying to find. Um, it's trying to find people who know the family because I did actually have paid research done on Jane over there, and. Um, you know, they didn't get back too much further than I'd managed to get back. Yes, I, but and I understand that, and that can happen at times. But, you know, between the the Drawn Independent and, and ourselves there talking about this and highlighting it, maybe it'll just ring a bell with other people out there, and there may be more to find out. But listen, Kathleen, you're, uh, Kathy, as you're known by, by your uh, uh, more common name, Kathy, 
you have to come over. You have to visit us. You have to come here and see this place and see where people came from and all the history it has here and make more links and get more information. Come on, you must be a little bit keen to do that. Um, I, yeah, I'm not ruling it out. I did come to Ireland about, I guess it was about five years ago. Yeah. And at that point, we had discovered, much to our shock, um, that my dad's family, the Clearies, were from Northern Ireland. Okay. And nobody ever knew that. Um, it, I discovered it because on the 1930 U.S. Census, which was after the division, that suddenly uh, an uncle was putting down, you know, he, he and his wife, one put down as where they were from, one put down the Irish Republic, and the other one put down Northern Ireland. Mm. And I was like, I didn't know we were from Northern Ireland. And um, that narrowed that search down because it's obviously smaller. And um, so I did come over and sort of concentrated on that branch of the family and then came down to Dublin. And um, actually, it was when I was in Dublin, I stopped by your National Library, and it was uh, someone who was helping me there who actually, I did find the marriage record for Jane, we actually do have that. That still exists. And the birth records for all of the children. So that's how I knew when each of the daughters were born. Mm. And that's when we knew that they were from Stamullen. And um, But when I was in Ireland, I didn't know any of that. I didn't have that link. Or else I obviously would have come there too. <laughs> Well, listen, you have to, five years ago is a long time. You have to come back. I just wanted to air the story today. Mention the Fairclops, mention Stamollin, uh, mention the uh, the other family as well that we've talked about, the Brown family, and see maybe it rings some bells out there. But listen, I have to let you go. Lovely to talk to you in the States today. Watch this space, and when you're over, I'll see you face to face. Is that okay? That sounds like a plan. <laughs> it is. It is a plan. Thank you for joining me, Cathy. Okay, thank you. Take care of yourself. That's Cathy Cleary Price speaking to us from just outside Washington, D.C. in the United States this afternoon. Stamullen, does it ring a bell with you? Brown family, Patrick Brown, the Fairclough's, F-A-I-R-C-L-O-U-G-H. It all comes together. There's more to complete that circle, isn't there? Let's hope it happens. Youth Work Ireland, Cavan Monaghan, have organised a golf classic to raise funds for the youth cafes and projects. It's taking place this Wednesday at the Newmore uh, Golf Club in Carrick-Macross. Lovely course there. And if you'd like to support them, a team costs 200 in the morning, 250 in the afternoon. That's a team of four. And there's a three-course dinner included. To book a team, and for more information, contact Olivia Hobbs, the events coordinator, on 87 087- Two four seven nine six one eight, or you can email Olivia at ywimonaghan.ie and we wish them well with that. Now there's an alert uh, for dog owners uh, issued in Meath after a reported outbreak of ticks in the trim area. To tell us more, that Tras O'Rourke from Pause for a while is on the line. Hello Trasa. Hi, Jerry. How are you doing? I'm good. Is this unusual? I would have thought, like, with the weather we're having, you know, compared to last year, has tick outbreaks anything to do with heat or weather, or is it just a summertime thing? Oh, absolutely. They, they are uh, very much affected by the climate. Um, but at the same time, it's not too cold at the moment either. Though, um, so normally speaking, we tend to see peaks maybe around the March to June time and maybe again kind of September to October. Um, in, in our kind of climate, in our area of Europe. 
Now, you've seen an increased uh, presentation of animals to your practice there uh, with ticks. Obviously, it's it's greater than other years. That's why you want to highlight this. Yes. Well, yeah, I, I think there's even been some, some suggestion kind of in reports all over the world that, that ticks and fleas, uh, you know, the, the kind of infestations that we see tend to be on the rise everywhere, all, you know, all over the world. Um, but yeah, we've had a lot of people come in and report seeing ticks on their dogs. Yeah. Can you do anything to prevent it or is it just a, a matter of fact if you take them for a run out in the countryside they're going to pick them up? Um, they can very easily pick them up from long grass. That's where they tend to spend most of their lives. Um, so ticks uh, need to complete a few different blood meals during their life in order to, to proceed onto their next life stage. Um, and they hide out in long grass and they wait there for a mammal to pass by and then they'll grab on and then they'll start feeding. So the most dangerous areas, I suppose, would be places with lots of long grass, wooded areas, thick brush, places where other mammals that would be hosts for them are around. So mammals like deers, hedgehogs, sheep, things like that. Mm. And so if they're out in the countryside running, there's a likelihood they're going to pick them up. I'm familiar with them myself. I have been for Mm -hmm. years. I know what they're like. They attach themselves to the flesh of the animal and they suck the blood and you'll feel them. They grow, they swell up because they're taking in the blood from the host. Now, what should you do? you, You should examine your dog regularly. Yes. Absolutely, yeah, especially if you're going to those risky areas. Um, also, your cat, it, it, cats can pick them up too, and often they have groomed them off and people won't even have noticed that their cats have had ticks. But yeah, I suppose dogs would be the ones who'd be walking in, in wooded areas and long grass a bit more. Um, so yes, I would say check your pet very regularly, maybe even daily if you can. Particularly this, the, the early stages of feeding can be harder to pick up because the ticks are smaller in size, like you say. Um, and if you do see one, I would recommend removing it. But also I'd recommend using some tick prevention um, medications as well. So what can you, can you apply this and they won't get them? What is it? So there's a few different, there's a whole range, I suppose, of different products that are available. And I suppose we can always tailor that to, to whatever your pet needs are and what suits your pet the best. But there can, you can use spot-ons which soak in through the skin or there are tablet form medications as well which are ingested and often they're come in a treat form um, and then after the, the medication has reached it, you know proper levels in the body it will kill ticks after they attach and feed for a while. So ticks can transmit things like diseases through their saliva when they, when they attach and feed but these medications prevent them from being attached for too long so that it hopefully prevents that and also gets them off the animal as well and stops them creating irritation. Is it advisable to grab them, which we used to ourselves years ago, and pull them out? If you're happy that you can do it well, um, go for it. What I would say is if you've got a tweezers at home, um, get the tweezers as close to the skin as you can um, and then grab it kind of by by the, the, the area of the body that's right next to the skin. And if you pull it kind of strongly, firmly, but upwards, then you can you can get it out head and all. Mm. If you're at all worried about leaving the head in or that you're not going to squeeze it properly, I mean, you could always bring it into your vet to, to, or, you know, the nurse or the vet, if they're free, could take it out for you. Mm. Um, and also, if you've taken it off, maybe just give the air a little wash, apply a little bit of antiseptic cream, and give your own hands a wash, and just take care not to squeeze the body of the tick while you're trying to remove it, because that can actually push some of the bacteria um, that they have in them into your dog or other pathogens as well. Yeah, yeah I remember taking them out and under the boot then you squashed them on the ground you know what I mean to get rid of them but you need to you're right you do need to know what you're doing and of course ticks are dangerous to humans as well Lyme disease 
Of course, mm, yes, absolutely. They are. So, you know, as well, you know, at this time of the year, it might be no harm people like wearing long, long-sleeved um, tops and, and wearing trousers when walking in those kind of areas. And of course, if they're in any way, you know, concerned about a, a tick bite that they might have themselves to contact their GP. And of course, that's another thing. You, you don't want your pets bringing ticks into your house either. You yeah. know, so even, you know, people who aren't out on the walks, you know, if you're bringing ticks into the house with your pets, it can be a risk for you, you know. Absolutely. Loved uh, the uh, advice and the warnings and all you've said to, to me today on Late Lines, Trass. I wish you well. Thank you for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That's Trass O'Rourke there from Pause for a Wild Veterinary Clinic in Trim. So you've been told, take care with the ticks. So many people have done the Camino. People have said to me, you should go and do it. Yes, Spain is the focus if you want to go out there. But listen to this. The Camino is a lot more than just Spain. It uh, travels throughout Europe. And in fact, it has links back here to Ireland. And yesterday, history was made because the first Boyne Valley Camino walk took place. And to tell me more about this, and she was on the walk yesterday, I am delighted to welcome Too Late Lunch, Anya Walsh. Anya, you're very welcome to the show. How are you doing? And you are from Drogheda Walks. Yeah. Yes. And you have combined with another group? It was the Boyne Valley Walking Guys who had the idea for the Boyne Camino. So we came together to to make this project happen, similar to the way we did on Drogheda Walks last year. So it's uh, Frank Flanagan, also known as Dusty, Terry Collins and Pat Coffey. And then also working with me was Kiva Mulroy, who's a brilliant graphic designer. And we, Brian Connolly of Bang Bang Visuals, did some of the photography first. And yeah. yesterday was, as I said, history made yeah. in, in the first ever walk. Yeah. Tell us about the walk. How, how long is it? The walk is 25 kilometres and it's a looped walk, which makes it unusual in, in the in the sense of the Caminos, because usually you'd have to start one end and finish the other and have to organise buses or cars. So the beauty of the Drogheda walk is it's looped. It starts at St Peter's Church in West Street, so you get your first stamp there. We're recognised by the Camino Society of Ireland, which means you're eligible for the proper Camino passport. And we've worked with local artists to develop stamps. So we have stamps along the route. So you start off at St Peter's Church, get your little passport stamped onto the West Court or have your breakfast in the West Court first. And then you move out along the road. So we, we head out towards Trinity Street, down along the river through um, Mel out past um, the recycling centre. Then you go down almost the route of the Boyne 10K until you get to uh, Townley Hall Woods. And then it gets really gorgeous. You go right into the the woodland and you follow a path. One of the paths we followed there isn't a well-used one. So I was there last week and there were um, deer prints. So there'd been deer there before me. Mm. So it's a real proper forest walk. And then you come out the back of that and you follow your way again through very quiet roads until you hit um, Melifont. So that's kind of our midpoint. And that's the midpoint of this walk, or mm. the furthest point out. And then yeah. you turn around from there and you head back in towards Drogheda. What's the route back in, just briefly? Back in, you come in through Tully Allen Village. So mm. you stop there, more stamps at the Morning Star pub and the shop out there. And uh, like again, you stop, have a picnic, have a break. It's not an endurance sport. It's just a nice walk. So there's, there's no medals for coming back first. Take the whole day at it. Come back in through the brilliant work that was done by the Bell Number, the community in Tully Allen did Bell Number Wood, gave us safe access down the glen there. And so you follow that beautiful wood down and then you cross the bridge at the obelisk. And then again, another fantastic community group, the Boyne Valley or the Boyne Trail, the Boyne Side Trail guys have a 
that boardwalk the whole way back into Drogheda. Mm. So it's and then you finish up back at St Peter's Church again. Yeah. Now, when you say twenty five kilometres, people would say, "Oh my God, that's quite a distance." Sixty mm. five was it? Of you did it yesterday? Sixty five of us, and a lot of us were hitting sixty five in age, <laughs> not bothering. <laughs> and it, Pints and Clarks and Tato and everything is all okay again. A little bit creaky this morning, but all good. Yeah. All good. So yeah. we went really well, and it, yeah. it's comfortable to do. Like it might sound like a lot, but it's a comfortable. Like yeah. you do it. At your own pace. When you say the numbers, it's kind of scary. Yes. But in reality, if you count up the amount of walking you did during the fla last year, mm. over and back across the town, it could mm. be 15, 20 kilometres. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing, only. And also because it's varying. You're not, you're like you're in woodlands, you're on water, you're stopping for a cup of tea. Yes. It's, it's not mm. a big sprint. Yes. And yeah. if you want to split this, this isn't the important thing to say. You can do half of it one day and come back and start it again the next day and Completely. Because the, the guys, and this is really huge credit to the Boyne Valley Walking Group, they devised this route in a kind of a figure of eight so that you can do nearly the Boyne 10k that people would know traditionally from the from the, the race that happens every yes. year. You can do that section as one and then you come back the next day, maybe park down at the bottom of uh, mm. the Glen and do the whole bit up to Mellifont and back again yes. as another day. So, so there you are. There's 15, loads of yeah. options here. Now, this is the thing that fascinates me. There really is a link with the Camino when we talk about Spain going way back historically. Mm. People did this. Yeah. And that's kind of all the ducks started to align when we started to look at this. We realised that there was a book written quite recently by Dr. Bernda Cunningham and she spoke up in Millmount. So we went to that talk and she has done huge amount of research that in, in um, back in the 11th, 12th century, a lot of the Anglo-Normal towns on the East Coast, such as ours, had a huge affiliation to St. James. And St. James is the way of St. James is what brings you down to Santiago. Around that time, Santiago was given this same weighting as a pilgrimage as Rome and Jerusalem. So people from Northern Europe, it was much easier for them to get to Santiago than it was to get down to the others across because they came by boat. Mm. And that's what the link is. So they would have left, they would have walked from all over the northeast to Drogheda, waited for a boat and then taken a boat down to Acaronia in northern Spain and then just walked the last 75 kilometres down from Acaronia into Santiago. And that's kind of what our link is. You can do 25 here, 75 down, and that's you. You've got your 100 kilometres for yeah, Compostela. Because that's it. 100 is the key distance. Yeah. So you can do it here at home and then go on and complete it in Spain, if you exactly. wish. Exactly. Now, you have brought in today, you've showed me, look at these lovely passports and the stamps on them as well. They're fantastic, aren't mm-hmm. they? We were very lucky. There was a lot of talent in the town. So we've two great artists. We'd um, Vivian Byrne devised three of these stamps Um and that because in in the normal Camino down in Spain, that's part of the crack is stopping at bars and pubs mm. and churches and getting your your stamps in. So all, all ours are very bespoke to the town. We have a beautiful sailing ship heading off from the tourist office. Um, we've uh, the Salmon of Knowledge on the Boyne for, from the West Court. We've got the Malafont itself, yeah. but it's got the Camino shell in it from... Um, Malafont and then a lovely tree in the Morning Star. Uh, we've got um, for Clark's Pub. We have uh, Lawrence's Gate. It's gate, yes. So. so and there's Mill Mountains. A few of them around mm. the place. So, mm. so the idea is to get these stamps. So when you have your local leg of this done, you bring mm. your passport with you. It's official. You take yeah. it on to Spain with you, and you get it yep. all stamped up there as you go. Yeah, and it's fully endorsed by the Camino Society of Ireland. So their their chairperson was down for the launch yesterday, and he he was cock-a-hoop when he saw the route. He just thought it was gorgeous because we've layers of nature and layers of history and layers of turmoil all within that 25 kilometre loop 
in it. So it has a, whereas often trails can be quite homogenous, whereas yeah. there's a lot of variation in the, in there the sure Drogheda is. one. sure I am familiar with the route now that I yeah. see it laid out there on the map in front of me. Can I do this at any stage? I don't have to be in an organised group. Oh, no. And that's the hope. We only just did it as a as a launch that everyone head off together. But the whole thing is pick up the map and head off yourself the way you would on the normal Camino, the way you would decide to do a walk. Go with your friends, um, decide to do a chunk of it or do the make a whole day of it. So that the, we got um, we've got some funding from some very kind sponsors. That I'll name them in a minute, and. Um, that afforded us to be able to print a, a big, a large print run. So we'll have them in the local hotels and in the tourist office so people to pick them up. And also we'll have it online on drahada.ie so that people can follow it mm. on their phones if they I want I think to. it's a, a terrific addition uh, to what's available locally as mm. well. And well done to all of you for Thank coming you. up with this and, and putting it all together because there's a lot behind this. There, there really is. It's very professional and very, very well done. Thank is you. there? An, I know what listeners are thinking today. Is there another organised day coming up? Yeah, we're hoping to run. We're kind of flying on the seat of our pants because we, we were overwhelmed with the interest in actually doing the group walk thing. So we did the first one. So then we're, we're going to do another one now on the 14th of July. And the booking for that can be done through the um, the Dread Arts Centre. Very help, helpful in ha- ha- allowing us to use their booking system for this. Okay. Um, and again, we have to cap it at a very small number, you know, 60 Ish, just for you know, I can understand on, on parts of the route and that that you we're go. crossing a couple of very mm. busy roads mm. and we don't want to be. But I think what we really want to do is encourage people to head off and do it themselves. And for tourists when they come to the town, let this be a walking destination. We've no mapped distance walks in the South Louth area at all, so this is the first one that brings us here. And then the Camino link. Some people are into it. Some people just like walking. It doesn't matter. Whatever you're into, off you go. It, it'll suit both. Mm. It's good for body and soul and mind and everything mm. to get out in nature and, and do this walk. And, you know, for people who live in the area from outside the area, especially those who live in the area, it's something like that's, you know, under your nose and, and, and yeah. available here now. And it's free. Very much so. And it's often we're, we're, we're blessed where we are because I'd always orient towards the beaches if I was walking mm. I wouldn't think really of going I thought oh yeah, Townie Hall is for a school tour like it was just a small woodland walk but I didn't realise the back of it it was it took the lads to plot this walk to show me the whole other side of, of mm. Townie Hall Woods so it it's yeah it's right under our nose you can walk out to it and walk back So these are available these uh, routes and mm-hmm. the passports and everything in local hotels Yes now, The passport no because you'd have they, there's, the maps have the detail on the back of how okay. you get the passport because they have to be purchased from the Camino Society of Ireland Okay and um yeah, so all the details there are that. there. Are, are on yeah. the brochures. The brochures are widely available. Pick them up and you'll get all the details there. Yeah. But you have to order your passport, get that, because yeah. that's something you'll hold and keep and have stamped wherever you go. Exactly. It's fascinating, the links yeah. going back all those hundreds of years. Isn't it, it really is, because we, we, from speaking with uh, Dr. Cunningham, she advised that there used to be either a hotel or a hostel or a hospital for people who were because often you'd be waiting for the boats on the tides and for passage on the boats down kind of where Scotch Hall is now Mm. and so pilgrims used to hang on there and there's evidence of the mayor of Drogheda taking a contingency because that was during the time when the selling of indulgences was there that this would give you credit in the next life if you went off and did your pilgrimage but you could also do it by proxy I may get walking when you say that (laughs) I need a lot of indulgences at this stage 
congratulations to you all on this and uh, Thank thanks to everybody who supported this and enabled uh, this to come together as well and it's a great added feature to the North East and uh, something that people will enjoy for uh, weeks, months and years to come. That's the hope, Jerry. Thanks. And actually, could I also just thank the sponsors while I'm here? So that will be the Westcourt Hotel, um, Donnie Miller Physiotherapy, who hopefully won't need to go into. Um, <laughs> you won't. The um, Coca-Cola, uh, the Morning Star and Clark's Pub. And we also got small funding from Tidy Towns and the Loud Sports Partnership. So thank you Well very done much to them. everybody for supporting this. I really do like it. And I- I'll have to do it myself. That's the go only on. way. I have to do it myself and experience it for myself. I'd love to. And I will before the summer's out, I promise you. But for the moment, Anya Walsh, thank you for joining me on Late Lunch. Thank, thank you. you. That's a lot on the show for this Monday afternoon. Eddie's up next with The Drive. Have a lovely evening and we leave you in the company of the wonderful ABBA and Dancing Queen. Away you go in the kitchen now. Up on your feet. Let's be having you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.